Gunner, and I've been called many things. Gun enthusiast, monster hunter, doomsday prepper. I reject all these labels. What I am is a survivalist. I've scoured the dirt and dust of Nevada and Mexico, putting my life on the line to hunt supersized subterranean man-eating predators called graboids. Join me as I enter into and beneath the sands of hell. Welcome to Now Playing's Tremors Retrospective Series. This is important now. This is probably the biggest zoological discovery of the century. These creatures are absolutely unprecedented. Hosted by Arnie. I'm a masterpiece of self-destruction. Stuart. Well, I'm blessed with a sunny disposition. Most people seem to like it. And Jacob. You guys do what you do best. Find something simple and complicated. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Makes my skin crawl. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, life and survival starts here. Today, we're talking about Tremors, Shrieker Island, starring Michael Groves and John Heater, directed by Don Michael Paul. This is the now-playing co-host who's a bipedal badass, Arnie. And the skid mark on your collective underwear, Stuart. And this is the co-host, fresh out of a Mexican prison, Jacob. (laughs) I think that's a true story about Jamie Kennedy. I think that's the real reason he's not in this film. No, I know. I thought that they had chosen to not go with Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy chose not to go with them. Oh, this wasn't good enough for him? He has better offers? A year ago, in October 2019... Jamie Kennedy posted a photo of the Tremors Shrieker Island script's front page. He blocked out Shrieker Island, but it was the first draft dated November 16th, 2018. They'd sent it to him, and Michael Gross said in interviews that he really had this trilogy uh, arc planned for him and his son Travis. So maybe Jamie didn't like Travis's role in the film? Maybe Jamie thought he was taking over and it was still a sidekick role. Maybe Jamie didn't like the money offered. Maybe Jamie had something else to do. He said he had a great time making the last two, but no Travis this time around. But hey, you never know what can happen in the future. Have a great time, boys. T-Dog out. (laughs) Aww. Well, that was one of the few things I knew about this movie. I must say, I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't read behind-the-scenes stuff. I basically saw the poster. I knew that this one was going to take place on an island. To me, I figured that meant that they were going to get in a boat and do Jaws stuff. I thought they would bring the the fanboy love for that original Spielberg movie back in by having everyone on a boat or something. <laughs> and I knew that originally this was called Island Fury, and at some point they changed it to Shrieker Island. So that, to me, signaled that for the first time since the second movie, they were going to make the Shriekers particularly interesting to the plot. I definitely thought that, too, that this was all going to be about Shriekers, not Graboids, not Ass Blasters. But I did watch that trailer because I was I was curious. Like, Jamie Kennedy out, John Heater in, you know, Napoleon Dynamite. Is he going to go for that shtick? Is he going to try to fill that Jamie Kennedy role with, with whatever that humor was? 
that trailer was pretty dark. Like, it kind of took me back. I'm like, oh, this is like the grim tremors. Like, are there going to be a lot of jokes? Because there weren't in that trailer. Like, it, it really had a different tone. It's grimmer than I thought it would be. Again, you say Shrieker Island, and for whatever reason, I think reality dating show. Yes. Like, I thought that, that maybe it would be about himbos and bimbos getting eaten. Like, Flavor Flav is looking for a new girlfriend there or something. Yeah. One of those shows. <laughs> yeah, I thought, obviously, broad comedy would be the tack. But no, yeah, this one is, I guess, darker is a way to characterize it. It's less goofy, less comedy-oriented than maybe the last two. I had low expectations going in. I mean, this was the same director, same writer, same everything as the previous two. So what exactly am I expecting? I've given two not recommends. What animal will piss on Burt Gummer in this film? That That's the question going in. <laughs> will it be a zebra, a eel? Who knows? Yeah, it's Universal 1440. It's not the guys that shepherded the TV show and the first four movies. So there's no reason to think that it's going to get back to that at all. The, the question is, what's it going to do with Burt Gummer? The one thing also that I knew about it was that, of course, Michael Gross was coming back. And Arnie, you got the opportunity to pick his brain before you saw the movie or after i have to say thanks to our friends at universal pictures who've allowed us to give 10 copies of this away we also got access to an early screener and so the day before i talked to him which was a week before it came out i got a chance to actually watch it and talk to michael gross for nearly an hour can you believe that i i couldn't and i had a great conversation with him, and I did go spoilers into this, because I have questions about Shrieker Island. Okay, good, because I definitely have questions about the end of this film. Yeah, I'm really glad you're going to be able to put some of this to him that happens to his character, because there's there's a big surprise, folks. If you don't if you haven't watched it or keeping yourself spoiler-free, there's things about the ending that I'd want to ask him for sure. So... He was good? A good interview? Fun? Yeah, it is available now to watch on our YouTube channel, and it is audio on our podcast feed so hopefully you've had a chance to listen to some of it i mean we talked non-spoiler things we talked the history of burt gummer we talked cool <laughs> as ice i'm glad you got that in there i got questions about cool as ice <laughs> family ties i'm guessing got in there up a little bit but mostly cool as ice <laughs> okay well good good it should be a good interview then i haven't heard it yet but looking forward to it yep yep but yes i will have some information to share as this goes and john heater like i guess the plan was just to get another comedic sidekick i mean he's best known for napoleon dynamite i think i've seen him in bench warmers the last time i've heard of him he actually uh moved up to the suburb of la that my parents live in and, and went to the same congregation the same church as them they're like napoleon dynamite goes to our church but like <laughs> i don't know if he has a career still i mean this guy is very lucky right he was in napoleon dynamite and his performance was unique in a strange movie and so he got other films that i have seen but he's a character actor he's i haven't seen him lead a movie since napoleon dynamite when you're third bill to rob schneider and david spade in the bench warmers <laughs> it's just not a great look i mean he got a will ferrell comedy too I, I never saw it about ice skating or figure skating i have as much awareness of him as i do of jamie kennedy it feels like a fair trade he makes those comedies i never watch and the guy just keeps working which is very good for him but given that they approached jamie kennedy and that whatever reason it didn't work what i can guess is 
the way it happens with so many scripts, they're like, well, here's the stuff we had Jamie Kennedy doing. Now we have Jimmy. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty obvious that they wanted to have the Sun character return, and they finagled it so that they could not have to change too much and, yeah, give it to somebody that, again, feels like a on-par equivalent. I had no higher expectations or lower expectations knowing he was filling it. I, I just want to say kudos to Heater for taking a shower before filming. He looks very clean in this movie. <laughs> he does, actually. He looks nothing like Napoleon Dynamite, the only film I've ever seen him in. And so that was a nice surprise. That I'm like, oh, he's an actor. Of course he can do this. But for some reason, I just assumed he was earnest. He's going to be like, uh, be like, gosh, all that Napoleon Dynamite stuff to Burt Gummer the whole time. <laughs> yes, I thought he would just be in character 20 years later. Yeah, and I've seen some cringeworthy interviews with him, and people asked him on, like, a Los Angeles morning show. Professional reporters are asking him, did you bring the tater tots? And he's like, no, that's a role. I'm John Heater. (laughs) But, yeah, I want to see his Hamlet, let me tell you. No, I mean, come on. You are Napoleon Dynamite, sir. You just got to live with that. Sorry. I have to say, coming in, as I was researching this, though, the cast I knew it was the two names I said. Michael Gross, of course he's here. There's a tremor. Gross <laughs> is back. John Heater. I was like, okay, not a great sign. I mean, it's a Tremors direct-to-video film. It can't be a bad sign either. You got Richard Brake, one of my favorite character actors. I legit... Got excited to see Richard Brake. I mean, if you've listened to our review of 31, he made that movie. If you listen to our review of Doom, he was not the worst thing in that movie. Yeah, I looked up his, like, career. I've seen a bunch of movies that he's been in. Sister Brothers, Mandy, The Death of Stalin. A lot of movies he's been in. I don't remember him from any of them, though. Oh, he he is always burned in my brain from his single scene in Kingsman where he was the waiter who suggested Rohypnol. Oh, okay. That's who he was. I I was trying to, I saw that he was in Kingsman. I'm like, who was he though? Okay. He was the waiter. And he was in, because Sid Haig was in ill health, he was the new person in Three from Hell along with the Fireflies. It was Sherry Moon Zombie, Bill Mosley, and Richard Brake. (laughs) So the guy can do, the guy seems to have one little shtick. Yeah, Richard Brake seems to be picking up the career that Billy Drago had of direct-a-video villain that just sort of enjoys his place. You know, it, it he, he works in that way, and I do enjoy, I usually don't like the movies because, you know, he picks these projects that are, sorry, I did not think 31 was saved by anyone, but he usually is a highlight even when the movies are not. I gotta ask, are those his real teeth? He's got some awful teeth in this. I didn't know if they prosthetics or if he just has bad dental work. It's his teeth. Okay, lots of close-ups. I just, I could not take my eyes off those teeth. But seriously, if you enjoy his performance, watch 31. His opening scene of 31, I'll never forget it. Legit. I don't know why this guy isn't a bigger star than he is. I don't know why he is the 20-teens Billy Drago. I think he should be more. Because Willem Dafoe is still working and taking all of those parts. (laughs) And then Jackie Cruz from Orange is the New Black. I mean, that is... A show I've seen. (laughs) Some kind of get. (laughs) She was a major character. She's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, these are actors who may not have their pick of roles, but can pick from a few roles, and they chose to come to Shrieker Island. 
So you're excited, right? This is what you do, right? You you find a way and somehow optimistically you're coming to the seventh Tremor movie believing that this these actors are going to, to make it a, a positive experience. I did walk into the room to watch this movie with the enthusiasm of a high school sophomore walking into seventh period but (laughs) i mean at least i wasn't skipping school because there was no jamie kennedy and these were names of people i've seen in other stuff and heard of so optimism is a very generous word to use for this but i wasn't dreading it i thought maybe we might not continue the stair step down i will say i was optimistic going into this one because of that trailer it didn't look like just the goofball stuff that was going on with the last two because of jamie kennedy because it had that darker tone i'm like oh this this may be interesting i had to watch it twice i watched it once for my interview with mr gross and once again for this review so i had it all fresh then you get to do the plot hit him richard brake plays bill a geneticist and big game hunter He's bred genetically modified graboids for an isolated island hunt, hosting wealthy Silicon Valley adventurers. But Bill didn't do his research on graboids, I guess. He didn't realize that they would birth shriekers, and the shriekers would multiply by feeding. On a nearby island is the Avex Bio Wildlife Sanctuary, run by Jazz, played by Caroline Langrish. When Jazz discovers what Bill's done, she knows who to call. Her baby daddy, Burt Gummer, played for a final time by Michael Gross. Yes, while Jamie Kennedy isn't in this movie, his character Travis is said to be in a Mexican prison, but Jazz is Travis's mother. Burt begins his hunt aided by two of Jazz's employees, mostly aided by team leader Jimmy, played by John Heater, but also helped out by Freddy, played by Jackie Cruz. When the scope of the hunt becomes clear, Bill's badass marksman Anna also joins Bert's team. Bill and his hunters are all eaten by graboids and shriekers, but Bert and his team kill the beasts until there's one alpha graboid left. Bert plans to kill it by remembering what Val, Kevin Bacon, did in the original Tremors. Stand near a cliff and let the beast charge him, go through the cliff wall, and fall into a ravine. Of course, being Bert, the ravine is also full of spikes, and dynamite to blow the graboid to hell when it lands. But Jimmy joins him on the cliff. As the mama graboid prepares to chow down, Bert sacrifices himself to push Jimmy out of the way to safety. Bert is eaten, but the final graboid is killed and blown into a million juicy pieces. The Avex bio team erect a stone memorial to Bert, adorning it with his flamethrower, his cubs hat, and his Ray-Ban sunglasses. As credits roll. And as we start the film, we're not in South Africa this time. I think we're in Thailand. And I want to say great scenery in this, like great location to shoot a, this little horror movie. I I was, I was, thought that added to the film just as we go through it. Every time we get those jungle shots and those island shots, great stuff. Best drone footage I've seen in a long time. Yeah, great drone footage. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm not even being derogatory by saying that it's just you can do killer things with a drone and these islands are freaking gorgeous and they use it to their benefit they didn't try to make a sandy beach the arctic this time they said hey we're on an island and we're filming in thailand i think it works i really like the location and we get some okay-ish parkour i like once we see this guy running he's 
you know, it, it kind of sets the tone for the whole movie. Yeah, it's not the most amazing stunts I've ever seen, <laughs> but it's better than what I could do. So I'll, I'll give him a tip of the hat as he's kind of doing a somersault on a fallen over tree and half flipping over branches. Yeah, you're saying parkour. I never thought parkour, but I guess for this film, we'll call it parkour. I thought we were just back in Tremors 5. Here's a local being chased by a graboid. It's gonna be eaten. Gotta call in Bert. But no, this is actually going to shock me a little bit by being slightly more inventive. This guy is intentionally bait to bring the graboid to a group of hunters led by Bill Davidson, Richard Brake. And that right there tells me, okay, there's a little more going on here than has gone on in part five. Yeah, no, I think this is fun. You got these weekend warriors all from Silicon Valley, you know, with names like Wall Street and Bowtie. You know, they're there to to hunt really expensive game that you couldn't find anywhere else. Like, I, I think that's a fun premise for a Tremors film. It seems to me that Richard Brake is doing some kind of impersonation of Richard Branson, the CEO <laughs> of, you know, Virgin Airlines and such that really seems to pride himself on on being, you know, full of stunts. I'm not just going to be some CEO behind a desk. I want to put myself out there. And so, yeah, he has bioengineered, made graboids even more extreme so that he can hunt them and charge his rich friends to tag along and, you know, fire as well. That's that's a really good premise. I agree, but like not a regular graboids not hard enough to kill. Like we, we've seen how hard they are to kill, but yeah, I like there's a lot of telling in this film because it's straight to video. They don't have the budget to to show us all the cool things they talk about. Like it's fun hearing how they're mega super predators because they've hacked their DNA and and changed them. I don't feel like we're ever going to see really how they're changed. Like we're told there's a queen that's the size of Godzilla. Maybe they're just exaggerating. I never feel like we see a huge graboid in this film, but there's a lot of fun talk. The shriekers are different. Oh yeah, they're different designs. Definitely. And the Shriekers have new powers this time. Yes. And the Graboids are harder to kill. So I do think, to answer your question, I agree. Bill should have maybe started with some regular Graboids. The only thing I can think of is he's he knows Burt Gummer. They, they're going to say everybody knows Burt Gummer. April 14th is Burt Gummer Day. In some <laughs> circles, Burt Gummer is considered a superhero. So... Bill knows about Bert, and his thought is more than likely, well, if Bert can kill a Graboid, I need something harder. And he seems to have assembled stars of video games. I definitely see Laura Croft here. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming some of these other people are in shooters and things. I I don't play. They're going to call out Predator. There's a guy with a rail gun like Jesse the Body Ventura had in that film. Yeah, I don't know exactly why you pay top dollar to go hunt an animal and bring a rail gun. I think that takes some of the sport out of it if I go rhino hunting or elephant hunting with a rail gun. But, hey, it's his money. I mean, these these are super predators, so you, you need that. <laughs> yeah, they're mega super predators. I do think they're making a minor joke. Mega super predator sounds like a good enough title for a sci-fi movie. It but does. <laughs> just have a mega super predator in Tremor Shrieker Island. And it doesn't work. They shoot this graboid up. And it does not die. This uh, was a surprise to everyone. They thought they would start off the weekend with a opening kill. And in fact, this one's going to go off and I think birth the Shriekers of this Shrieker Island. Okay, I, I went into this Shrieker Island. It's going to be all about Shriekers 
we see a shot of a Graboid right at the beginning here. And I'm like, okay, that's the last time we're going to see this Graboid. I do feel like this is more Graboid Island than Shrieker Island. Like the Shriekers, forgetting the title, play a diminutive role. Yeah, Island Fury was the original title. Maybe that would have worked. I there's just something, I don't know, Shrieker Island connotates something that, I don't know, it, it sounds better. But it, I wouldn't necessarily say. The Shriekers have the best movie they've had since the second one. <laughs> Not saying much. <laughs> yeah, they they've ha- they have to share it with uh, Graboids. Even Bert says he hasn't seen a Shrieker in 20 years. He's only dealt with ass blasters and Graboids. But yeah, the Graboid is going to be the main beast here. But there's a number of Shriekers. I kind of like what's going on with the Shriekers. When we first meet the Shriekers, we get some of these Avex bio people. Again, we have Jimmy... John Heater's character here is like the manager who, I had to look this game up. They were playing Flip, Sip, or Strip. Have any of you played that? No, it it sounded like a drinking game and he can't hold his liquor. Yeah, I mean, I I get what that is. And yes, he's clothed though. So I guess he passed out with the first sip. Again, the last time I heard about him, he was going to my parents' church. So yeah, he's not going to strip and and he can't hold his alcohol, I guess. He's a a good (laughs) religious boy. And his boss, Jazz, thinks he needs to learn some leadership skills. And, oh my god, is this a well-defined character arc? Yes, it is in a Tremors film. I was looking up this character because I'm like, oh, like, they stopped dropping things like she knows Travis and that he's in jail. I'm like... It didn't occur to me right off that it was going to be the mom. I'm like, is this supposed to be like that that other woman in part two that like was Burt Gummer's love fling or maybe that she was supposed to be Fred Ward's. But like, I remember some older women that were age appropriate for Burt Gummer. I, I was going through trying to figure out who this was supposed to be. It felt like it was someone we should know. Yeah, I like this actress and I like John Heater as well. I think actually this story does want, I mean, if it could it would bring back Reba McIntyre and bring back Jamie Kennedy. But given that we we aren't going to get them for whatever reason, I think that these more than make up for it. And I have long thought Bert needed a woman. I can't remember if it was part five or six where I said, you know, we have the son, but it's been a long time since Reba. Bert needs a woman. Here, they're finally giving him one. Michael Gross did mention to me, they tried and tried and tried. Every sequel, they asked Reba. Reba's like, I'm not coming back. (laughs) Yeah. They also have a monkey tied up here that I spent the whole movie going, when's the monkey coming? What's the monkey going to do? (laughs) Nothing. I do have questions like, there's two separate islands, I think. Yes. There's Shrieker Island, or they call it the Dark Island. That's where the hunting is going on. And then there's this other island where this biotech firm is just has a wildlife preserve they're doing stuff with elephants like it's not totally clear to me i think it's the mainland the way i look at it is i just assumed it was thailand this is the mainland and then yeah there are these i actually learned to scuba dive on the thai island so i actually recognize this location just as gorgeous as it looks you've been to the dark island i have been to the dark island and there are islands that people like richard branson just own yeah so i can actually go with there's this little island off the coast that this guy is using as his own private hunting ground oh yeah they tell us it's a private island and i get that it's also weird that bill is also the head of this biotech firm yeah no i mean i get that this is his pleasure place and like he goes over here and nobody 
like none of his researchers, you know, who knows what the boss is doing? Probably nothing productive. And I believe that they only experience it as a trimmer. Get the joke. But um, but I believe the queen is already over here in this first scene. They have a little earthquake. And I believe that is the queen graboid leaving the dark island and coming to make a nest in the mainland. And so Jimmy, Jazz... And some guy who I don't know why he's not wearing a red shirt go over to the island to check this out. The guy to drive the boat. Like, he's the dead one. Sure. It goes on too long. He's, like, cutting down weeds with his machete. And I'm just like, you are dead. Why are we dragging this out? Just walk into some quicksand. The moment you get off the boat, it's over. You know, but I forget, dead meat means something different in a Tremors film, PG-13. I thought for sure once we, first we find the exoskeleton of the Graboid, and it's got three punctures, so we know there are three Shriekers that are about to descend on him. These people don't know what they're in for, but Tremors fans do. He gets jumped, dragged away. I think they're going to do something with Jimmy trying to pull him back and pulling back half a person, you know, ripped in half. But Not in this film. They don't go for the gore. They don't go for the violence. You can bring your kids. I look at the positive now. I used to see this as a complaint. But this really is a horror movie in which it's not about the spatter. And it is more fun-loving and character-driven. So it really is something that I feel like it's a primer for children that maybe aren't ready or don't want to experience a slasher film this series is for them. So the death here is largely off screen. They did do the cut body in half back in Tremors 2, coming through the window and things. They've done the body in half, but yeah, here it's off screen. And the Shriekers are smart. They hunt exactly like raptors from the first Jurassic Park. Yeah, yes, I made that note. Clever girl. Like, Ichimon, the boat driver, is looking straight at a Shrieker, but he gets it from the side. Which I I know I I normally complain, like, if you're a bad movie, don't remind me of better movies. This one's going to have fun with it. They're going to call out like at one point that they're just ripping off Predator. So I'm going to give it to them. Won't hold it against them. And we've seen them again. I I said in part five, they totally ripped off the Raptors scene in the kitchen. Like, so this series, I mean, it started off kind of as a Jaws parody anyway with Sand Shark. So let it rip off what it wants. Yeah, no, there's no need to innovate beyond what they're doing here. They've actually tweaked the formula to a storyline I like. I actually feel like I could have lived without Burt Gummer. If there was just this woman and John Heater, uh, they could carry this movie. I mean, when she goes over there later in the movie and, and has it out with Richard Brake, I feel like that's a good scene. She could be our hero, like that, that she drinks his expensive whiskey and scoffs it off. And, and basically she realizes communication is cut off from the mainland. They're going to have to fight this on their own. Yeah, because conveniently, Bill cuts off communication whenever there's a hunt going on for reasons. Right. He thinks that they'll all be dead by Monday. It's a weekend hunt. And I don't know whether he's built into the creatures that they'll all die by Monday or whether he just is so confident in his own hunting skills that it won't be hard to kill these four graboids. But she's the one that tells him three graboids. And, you know, again, maybe it's a surprise to him because he didn't think that they maybe he knows about Shriekers, but doesn't think that he's engineered their biology so that they can produce it. It's not really clear, but the point is already we see him losing control. I don't think he did his research because when he hears that one was dead, he thinks they killed it. When the Shriekers show up, he's confused. But because he's engineered them. I mean, not because he doesn't know about them, but because, hey, I did things to their DNA that would make this 
not happen. So why are they adapting so well? I don't feel like this guy even did anything himself to the DNA. He ordered some underling and he doesn't know the genome sequence of the super mega predator. Well, the whole time I was waiting for them to reveal where they got the DNA from. Like, where did they get a graboid in the first place? Did they dig up El Blanco <laughs> in Nevada and, like, extract DNA from him? Where did they, like, they will never tell us. Like, Bill just has graboid DNA for somehow. I accept that. I don't, I didn't spend a lot of time on that. They distract us because... I was waiting for a big reveal, like... Lara Croft is shooting apples off the heads of people looking through mirrors, and they have other stuff going on. I thought that was going to come back, and she was going to have to take out a graboid, like, looking in the mirror, shooting backwards. She does. You're wondering about the monkey. I was wondering about that. She does get one arrow kill. But not looking in a mirror, shooting backwards. I love Anna. I think she is a badass... You know, this is maybe the Tremors movie with the best woman characters. This is the one for the ladies. Yeah, we got three big female leads in this one. But they all have agency. They all have their own purpose. While Anna works for Bill, she's not subservient to Bill. And here is where she's going to show off that she is really the badass on the team because she'll do a William Tell and shoot an apple off Bowtie's head backwards over a bridge i mean she is just badass in every way i feel she's a little underutilized there's a lot of people in this movie i was waiting for her to have a bigger moment yeah me too but she will eventually change teams because she's not going to be stupid like every other you know she's not an evil lynn to bill skeletor is what i'm saying here and i like it this is the best cast we've had since the first movie. Just all around, just genuinely like these people. Trimmers is pretty good at that. You know, the TV series, the fourth movie, they've tried to create these communities. Again, they're thinking uh, in terms of character and not in terms of body count. I have learned to appreciate that about this series, but I think that, yeah, if, if the problem is we don't have enough time with these supporting characters that are cool, that's a quality problem to have. Good on them that they have an abundance of good things going on in the background. Agreed, completely. And it does feel like, what, maybe 20 minutes till... Burt Gummer finally shows up in this film, and, and I do like his introduction, because Arnie, I know you're always preaching libertarianism, and, and I agree, re, like, re, let's look at those tax brackets, maybe, maybe we could do something there. You mean, like, eliminate all of them? Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah, if you want to go move to Papua New Guinea and live like Tom Hanks and Castaway, <laughs> I, a very real depiction of a libertarian in real life. There you go. Let me give Michael Gross a huge compliment. That beard is real. Is it? Okay. I couldn't believe it, but there's some behind-the-scenes features, and there's some more on YouTube of him getting on a plane to go to Thailand, and he looks like Santa Claus in the airport. I mean, that is a all-real, natural, Michael Gross growth there. And the hair, I don't think so much, but that is his beard. He pulled off that character transformation, if you will. I don't understand. I, I get it. He says... The state wanted him to hook up a sewer, and then they're going to take his DNA. That's not libertarian. That's paranoid schizophrenic, but... Well, I, I think that's how a lot of real-life libertarians play out, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> I th Yeah, I think Bert has reached a logical conclusion, that he has always been battling the outside, and more and more, as he lost people in his life, his world got smaller and smaller, that he has wound up in this stick hut... Yeah, eating grub worms and complaining about Nevada wanting to regulate his sewer. 
I thought that was a funny joke that he's eating those worms that look like mini graboids. Yeah, no, I, I really think that this is a logical place to take the character and also explains why he would go, yay, someone's here to take me away from this. It has been 186 days and I actually don't want to be a survivalist anymore. <laughs> I got the feeling he didn't want to go. I just didn't see this as a correct path for Burt Gummer because I, it seemed to me like the writers forgot he did have a wife and... He never wanted to be a loner. You know, he was a survivalist, but not an isolationist. We've, we've been building to that. Maybe so. And what he says, and he says with some bitterness, is, why don't you go to Travis? He's the go-to <laughs> Graboid hunter now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, like, I, they don't talk about Travis too much, just enough to establish the relationships and why he's not here, but... Like, is he feeling left out? Is Travis going on all these Graboid hunts and nobody wants Bert anymore? That would explain why he'd disappear into the wilderness more than a sewer. No, I, I think that's the joke with, with Gummer is that, yes, having to get permits and pay the government extra money for those permits would drive him to go live like a castaway on an island. I, I think that's a funny joke. I think it's appropriate for the tone of, of these Tremor films and for Burt Gummer. I also want to call out, though, I do think this is a, a very, like, drug-positive movie, speaking about libertarianism. Like, we'll find out that Travis, what, he was he was just transporting mushrooms across the border, and, like, his parents aren't upset about that, because, like, they both done mushrooms. And Freddie later will talk about she's badass because she grew up on a pot farm, a legal pot farm in California, like, and, and like, knows how to work the land and everything. Like, I, I do like how have they've taken those things that were, like, really negative in the past, and, and again... Given a modern spin here. Yeah, and it's a nice reunion that it, it ends up... He goes back because he thinks he's saving 800 indigenous people, but he almost is ready to turn around when he gets to the dock and jazzes Jasmine Welker, that she is, in fact, Jamie Kennedy's mother from long ago. And, you know, they don't have a lot of time with this. Again, the complaint I have about this movie is I would actually like to spend more time with all of these characters, and they don't get enough... Maybe to, they deserve more than they're given, but I do like that they've created this relationship. Would it work better if Jamie Kennedy were here to round out this troubled, dysfunctional family? I think in some ways, yes, but I like Heater so much that I'm going to say, nee, it's all right. And I think Kennedy would have ruined it. He would have stolen the show and tried to make it all about him with his ad libs and everything. He would have ruined the moments. That's what I feel too. And I hate to say it. I don't, I, unlike Jacob, don't think he needs to be confined into a shower. And Kennedy is apparently, you know, apparently on good terms. He did come back for an homage to Michael Gross on the DVD and things. I mean, they just took scenes from other films. No, I mean, interview stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, extras. All right. I just think that his energy, he would have been trying to steal the light the whole time. And John Heater, what I think is, how better would the past two movies have been if John Heater showed up as Bert's ironic son instead of being a motorbike extreme sports cameraman if Bert's son had been a nerd and we'd had John Heater for three movies? I think that would have been the better solution than bringing Jamie Kennedy in here. As it is, I hate to say it, but the movie's better without him. 
Uh, I agree. And I do feel like Heater, they try to give his character Jimmy an arc trying to become a leader. And I could totally see that coming from the original script when they would have Kennedy, like trying to make him mature, trying to make him a leader to perhaps take over the franchise. We'll discuss later. But uh, it transferred to Jimmy, and that's fine. I like I like Heater, what he's doing here. It's not hilarious. It's, it's, it's not fantastic, but he balances everything. And okay, yeah, give him a story arc. That's what you want to do with your characters. Even though I don't really care if he becomes a leader in this film, like that that wasn't something pressing for me because I'd never met Jimmy before. I like that he's just kind of an everyday Joe. I said nerdy, but he he's a tech lead. They don't go for the broad comedy with nerds, yeah. Yeah, he's not coming out of Revenge of the Nerds, you know? He's a normal guy who would work in tech, and he shares probably the most scenes with Michael Gross, but I don't feel like their relationship is really central. They're, it's... Bert's leading and everybody else is following, just John Heater's following a little closer than everybody else. Which, if again, if you went with the original concept, and certainly you go with the idea that they're bringing everything to a close here, this is a curtain call for Bert, I think it would make sense if that were Travis and that they did have more of a relationship. But I think you're also right. Let's just digitally put in John Heater into all of the previous two movies because he he plays so much better with Michael Gross. And yeah, I, I just like him. He, he plays it the opposite of what I would expect. He is not manic. He's not trying to steal the spotlight. He's trying to take a, a nap, sleep off his hangover in a hammock. And that's, you know, the, as loud as he gets are the Hawaiian shirts he wears. He does not really, <laughs> you know, try to outdo Bert. And so he plays well. He gets some funny lines, though. I mean, he is still the comic relief. He takes them down to a bomb shelter. He's like, some team members think it's haunted, but I think it was a, just a monkey giving birth. I mean, that was a smirk line for me. Yeah, and I like he, when he gets a chainsaw, he's going to go all evil dead. He, he's got some fun lines. And I do like, you know, this film, they, again... Every Tremors film, it's like, what can we do new? Like, the first three, they had a new form of the Graboid every time. And fourth one, they went to the past. I don't know. They went to different locations in five and six. But this one, I, I thought what, what the unique novel thing is, Bert can't have guns. Like, he gets to the island. They don't have any guns. Like, how is he going to kill these Graboids? So, to, again, to me, that's that's another fun development is when he, you know, Bill's going to show up and he's got all the ammunition, but he's not sharing. And so how are they going to take out Graboids without firearms? Every movie, Bert loses his guns. I mean, it's just, a, it's a trope now. How will Bert lose his guns? Remember when they went to Africa, they were held by customs or... Yeah, he still got weaker guns, though. In part three, he blew up his entire stash of guns because he thought ass blasters reproduced on food. There seems to always be a Bert loses his guns moment. Here, Bert just never has them, but he has Pennsylvania steel. Is that a thing? I mean, it was a thing. I don't know if they still, it's called the Rust Belt for a reason. I, I don't know what the steel industry is like at this point. But this is a World War II bunker, so they've been around a while, and so has the dynamite. So, again, they're working with tools that are, they're not the hippest, and that it's an interesting contrast with, as you say, the CEO of a biotech firm who has all of the cool weaponry, and... They do have two flamethrowers, which is great. Yeah, right, yeah. They, they have enough to make it fun, but I do think it's a good contrast to have some guy with all the new toys versus somebody that has to you know, work with a bunch of junk in a basement. What I like about this movie, 
are the human relationships with the graboids in the background and the shriekers in the background? Because Bert shaves his beard, cuts his hair, gets a tour of the basement. He doesn't have his Ray-Bans. He has to get those from Jazz. They're on loan. And Bill, Richard Brake, shows up. And these guys are going to go kind of toe-to-toe over... Bert saying you can't handle the graboids, Bill being overconfident in his weapons, tranking Bert. I like the human conflict that's here with the graboids in the background. It, I'm going to make a strange comparison. This makes a hell of a lot more sense than Billy Zane shooting a pistol on the sinking Titanic. That is something I noticed this one. There, there's a human villain. We've always talked about like, oh, why isn't there an evil scientist that did this or that, that freed the Graboids? Like this one, there is a human villain that like they, they have to fight against along with fighting with the Graboids. So again, they're, they're still fighting. They're not, you know, the most creative new things to bring to the series, but at, at least they're trying to do something new. I feel like that was in Bloodlines. There was the guy that was trying to get the egg to, to sell it. and have you- He never felt like he was threatening though the moment you realize that guy was a villain he was eaten right yeah richard brake brings uh, for a tremors movie star power and so you pay attention to him more he knows how to use the, the few scenes that he has to position himself as a uh, a rival for bert and so that's fun and because you're right the human relationships here are good i will say they've they have a smattering of kills here in between to try and keep us interested those aren't so great. When the guy goes out to take a leak. And, in the outhouse, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course he's got to get pulled down into the toilet. I'm like, hmm, you really had to do that, huh? I guess they did, but uh, don't go for the toilet humor. Between Sleepaway Camp and then <laughs> The Hills Have Eyes 2 remake and this, I've seen enough outhouse deaths. This felt derivative. <laughs> It may be that, but I also just think that that's going blue and throwing shit on a light bulb is just, it's desperation this movie doesn't need. A bad movie needs to go there to get a reaction, but a movie where the characters are good, just focus on those and and don't worry so much about the kills because it's Tremors. It's about the people. It's not about the kills. I have to give this movie this. In most movies, I'd be saying, give us some kills. Put them throughout. You can't have a half an hour of a Tremors movie without watching somebody get killed. I mean, even in the first one, we have those people we never saw before, like the doctor, just get eaten in order to intersperse the kills. But yeah, here, when the guy gets killed in the outhouse, I'm more distracted. Who the hell is this? Right. <laughs> Instead of into the kill. It goes on for a long time, too. It's really bad. Everything about it, from the them shaking the camera back and forth, it's not suspenseful. It's not funny. It's just- No good effects. I mean, because they're supposedly the shrieker or grab... I guess it's a graboid because it has the tentacle, is under the toilet, so... It's just this guy in a shaky building. Oh, that's why he got pulled down, because it would have been a grab. See, Shrieker Island, and we saw Shrieker kill that boat guy earlier, so I, I was thinking there's a Shrieker waiting down there that grabbed him, but that makes more sense it was a graboid. Maybe we should have had them kill a graboid at the beginning, and then the second one hatched the Shriekers, and then there was the queen. Like, there was three graboids, and we thought the graboids were gone, and we could have focused on the Shriekers. I think... Yeah, we end up spending, I spend a lot more time thinking about what's underneath the ground than I ever do about, yeah, what could be hiding in the trees. Yeah, this is barely Shrieker Island. <laughs> I agree, but I'm going to give them this. The, when they show Shriekers, they look okay. <laughs> no, I yeah, I like this 
redesign here. The CG is acceptable. They kind of look like those skull creatures from Kong Skull Island. Like, you know, before they were like big claws, these kind of look like skulls. I don't know why they have like an X in the middle of them, but cool design. You You know what I thought of? There's that Pokemon that wears like its parents' skull on its head. Cubone. Cubone. Yeah. Cubone. Yeah. I thought that these guys were wearing skulls on their heads like Cubone. Did they have the X as an homage to Jamie Kennedy? Because he got X from this. I guess he X'd himself. <laughs> you won't let it go. <laughs> I'm still looking forward to Xing Jamie Kennedy for my life. I, I, you know what? I bet you they already had those designed, but and there was going to be an X joke from Jamie Kennedy, and, and then he wasn't in here, so this design stayed. He ruined it. Or maybe they were adjusting the creatures because he felt like it needed more of that. I don't know. Let's let <laughs> Jamie Kennedy rest in peace in his Mexican jail. Uh, Jimmy, of course, has to point out the obvious. They're doing Predator. In these moments when we have the Burt faction and the Bill faction going into the jungle, we get a little bit of infrared, a little bit of noises in the trees. It's competent. I mean, it's obviously a pastiche. They obviously don't have Arnold in the 80s money, (laughs) but I do feel like when we get some of this flamethrower shots uh, and the blue filter on the the foliage and all of that. It's it's a credible look. This movie looks like a decent straight-the-tape action movie. I agree. It does some of the stuttery, mist-frame stuff, especially when the Shriekers use their new super-powered Shriek that brings all of Bill's hunters to their knees, clenching their ears. I thought this was going to be a bigger deal. It's here for this scene. Like They'll just put on earmuffs later so they can't hear it. But, yeah, I thought this was going to be a much bigger development. I do like that Bert and Jimmy save Bill's team with the flamethrower. Just come in there and fry him. Right. All the Wall Street guys are pretty much dead. There's, like, one guy that looks like Arnold that has a machine gun like Arnold. He'll hang around. I think he was one of the hunters. I don't think he was even a Silicon Valley guy. Yeah, he doesn't look Silicon Valley. But, again, those characters don't matter. We have Doc, who I think actually did the genetic manipulation. Yeah, he's part of the group. He's not... I think it's only Wall Street and Bowtie that are the weekend warriors. Yeah, and Bowtie is still around. Yeah, which is weird. Like, you get on a plane and leave. You do not stay around to get that trophy to mount on your wall. That's a bad business model if you have two customers and five employees walking them around. Depends how much they pay. I mean, you could say that to Dennis Hoff... That it's a bad business model if you have one John with five women, but it depends on what he pays. Yeah, and they're paying top dollar. That's the point. They could have been a little bit more... They could have enjoyed killing Wall Street types. Again, trimmers. They don't enjoy killing. It's never about shaming people. It doesn't go that way. So in that way, it's wholesome and it's in keeping. And so I really don't mind. And I feel like, yeah, if you wanted your kids to see a PG-rated predator, here it is. But you have these types, you know, it's always people are getting canceled on social media because you find out some rich dentist went and hunted a rhino in Africa and people flip out and give them bad Yelp reviews. Like, this feels like it's supposed to be a parody of that, but they don't really go anywhere or satire. Like, they could have had some better jokes in here. Again, if this had the adult mindset and an R-rated sensibility and bloodlust in its heart, which Trimmers could grow into being. I do think that this series will be rebooted and not continued. And I think that that will be the impulse that will be tempting. But to honor what has been done in the past and bring it to a close, all of these choices feel pretty on point. 
I agree. There's there's not stereotypes, but there's just not a whole lot of character to a bunch of these background people on both teams. We're paying attention to the team leads here, and I'm good with that. And this is where Anna gets her big moment. I agree, they could have lingered, and they had built her up so much, she would have figured she would have gotten even the final kill, maybe. Yeah, she does fire the arrow at the flamethrower in this one and kills one of the graboids. She gets that moment here. Four graboids, one gave birth and died. This is the second one to die. There's now two left, and they've estimated nine shriekers. Yeah, because when they eat, they do reproduce, which is weird because also when they're ass blasters, they lay eggs. They don't need to do that if they reproduce from eating as shriekers, but whatever. But they reproduce shriekers so that the shriekers... There's more ass blasters. Yes, they're born pregnant. So, I mean, I, I thought it was really a strange thing that Jimmy's going to be like, they spread like a virus. And Bert goes, they multiply like a viral pandemic. I'm like, what did they know? (laughs) Illuminati. Was that a looped line? Like after the pandemic broke out, did they fly Michael Gross in to loop that one line? I didn't even notice it, guys. Oh, it stuck out like, yeah, so much because, yeah, how did they know? I yeah, I mean, I get it. We're all living through it. But uh, yeah, they, they could have focused more on the Shriekers here. I think what we learn is that Freddie, the techie with the background in the weed farm, she is able to hit one with the GPS. They know where all their animals are because they tag them. And she's got a gun that doesn't have bullets, but she can tag those Shriekers. She knows that they're all headed back to this cave. And so... We have the understanding that there are two worms left and then nine shriekers in a cave. But Bill doesn't want Bert to get those kills. He's actually going to undermine. I guess he wants to hunt for himself is really what it comes down to. He wants the the heads mounted on a wall. I also do think he has an ego issue. He believes he is the best and he's going to prove it. He wants to be seen as the best. It's a... Who's the alpha male kind of situation going on here? And it leads to what I think is the most beautiful scene in the movie, which is Bill and his crew, which still has Anna at this point, waiting at night for the Graboids or the Shriekers to come. Admittedly, I feel Richard Brake leans on a crutch. He howls. He did that a lot in Three from Hell. He has this thing he likes to howl. He did a little howl here. I'm like, all right, that's your trademark thing. I guess that's Richard Brake's version of I'll Be Back. But when they light those green flares and you see the Graboid coming with the dirt moving again, you know, we talked about in parts three and I think five, the great thing about Tremors 1 was they did it cheap because you just had to move dirt. And here, seeing that dirt explode, showing you where the Graboid is, I think this is actually a really good-looking scene with some suspense to it. And Doc, who just, he's too scared to stand still, and he's going to die for it. Yeah, and this is supposed to be the queen, right? Like, they try to make a big deal how huge it is. It It doesn't look any bigger to me than they have in the previous two films, but... I do agree with you, Artie. I do like the green flares they're using. It looks stylish. Like, you know, they don't have a lot of money, but at least they're making it look good. And I like the fact that, like, this queen ate Charlie the elephant who had a tag on it. I wish we got to see that. I know. Again, (laughs) if we had more of the animals, uh, the more sense of that, that would have made it feel more tropical. But I understand 
Direct-to-video budget. We're yeah, I know. I got to give it. <laughs> so it's just a techie is running around saying Charlie the Elephant is 12 meters below the Earth. And over here on the mainland, part of the bioengineering that has been done has allowed graboids to dig underneath the ocean or swim. We're not exactly sure. Yeah, I, I didn't think that was like so amazing that Dark Island didn't look like it was too far away that and that soil is soft underneath the ocean. Like I, I could get it if it's a huge queen that it would be able to get get through through to the mainland that like they some of them try to act like that's unbelievable but i i totally figured that that's what was going to happen i never questioned do graboids have lungs do graboids breathe but i would think being so far subterranean they would not breathe oxygen therefore survival in water would be okay yeah, they're trying to build us up like this is something we've never seen before. And I'm hearing from you guys and feeling it for myself that, yes, this queen, whatever she is. I wish we could just see this stuff because it sounds cool. And I get it. It's direct to video, but they're talking a good game. I wish we could see it every once in a while. Yes, you can tell me how this is a subtle nuance, and I'm sure the Trimmers fans have it all mapped out in Reddit. They do, I looked. <laughs> but even the person that has just been casually enjoying week by week and not thinking too heavily about this, I would say that this feels like more of the same and not some grand new evolution. I agree. It seems like with this universal trilogy, I guess I could call it, with five, six, and seven, it's more about not new evolutions, but just new locations. Yes. And which is, again, that's enough. This location is the best maybe they've ever had. Yeah, this location is great. And there is another worm. We're going to take that out because it is going to follow Anna, who's decided once she saw the queen, I don't want to do this anymore, turns in her gun. Yeah, I love that she's got to turn in her Glock before she walks away. That's company property. She's going to see the good guys that have all been zip-tied in the bunker, and they're already managed to free themselves. She brings that third graboid to them for a fight, kind of like the Reba and Bert fight from the first movie. Yeah, they made a big deal about unstable dynamite. And I know for the book, I watched Sorcerer and I just happened to watch what that was based on the wages of fear just like a couple days before I watched this. I just happened to watch it. So like I was really into like how unstable nitroglycerin could be. But like they talk about it. They don't do a whole lot with it, though, with that concept. Yeah, again, so many things that they have to play with here, and partly because of budget and partly because of time, it just ends up being sort of an afterthought that she barrels into. They make it seem like Bert like lit the dynamite to kill her, but truthfully, her busting through the wall would have been enough, I would have thought, to set the whole place off. And they do something, too, with the generator kicking in that's kind of like the cooler that was at Chang's Market in the first one. Yeah, to draw it towards them. You can see that they watched the first film. You could see the that even though they didn't make it, these writers are new. This director hasn't been involved in the first four films. But they went back to that first film this time and said, how can we do all the stuff that was so great there here for the finale? Yeah, this bunker scene definitely feels like that scene with Gross and Reba McIntyre when they're shooting out that graboid. Not as good. Nothing is as good. Nope. It, you don't <laughs> see a graboid burst through the wall like in full practical detail, which is great. But yeah, there's a, an inference that there's a graboid coming through the wall and then an explosion. Is it a mistake to kill Bill off the way they do next? I feel like he could have been a part of the climax as well. I know they want to give everything to Bert, and maybe that's not a wrong instinct. 
Yeah, no, again, here here's a cool idea that they, they talk about that this queen, it's going after the weaker ones. It's keeping the alpha graboid killer f- for the last kill. So, yeah, it's going to go for Bill first. It, it's a weird scene. We just cut to, who is this, bow tie, like, fending for his life while Bill is, like, manically laughing and shooting a pistol at it, like, in a swamp. It, it, it doesn't seem as grandiose as I'd want it to feel. And I would say that the worm quickly gives up on killing the lesser ones. Maybe. Yeah, after it kills Bill, then it just goes straight for Gummer. One of Heater's best lines is that, what great I'm next, you know, because obviously <laughs> I'm the weakest link here. And, yeah. and it really stops all of that. Again, I feel like, no, no. Richard Brake is so good that you rewrite on the spot. Even if this was your plan, you keep him around and find a way to have him in the climax. I was shocked by two deaths in this film, and Bill was the first one. Not that he died, but he died, I felt, relatively early. Like, yeah, he should have been around till the end. Correct. Yes, very easy. And Bert tries to help him. Maybe that's a good instinct to show that Bert doesn't have hard feelings. But it, you you feel like that Bert did everything he could, but this guy just standing on that drawbridge, gets some tentacles, gets sucked down, and that's it. Should Richard Brake have come around? I don't, I, you know, I watched this movie twice, and because I like Brake so much as an actor, part of me wonders, should he have learned his lesson and lived, or should he have died here? Obviously, in horror movie rules, he needs to die for his ego, and die because he's the guy who created these monsters, and thus caused the whole problem, but I like that Bert tries to save him, Bert is always going to be the upstanding guy, and yeah, it... Bill is just eaten pretty quick, and now all we have left are monster bad guys. Yeah, so many things to play off of. It's not really a complaint that, yeah, we got a cave full of shriekers, and we got the queen on the mainland, and so they split up duties. Jimmy and Bert are going to take the boat over and see what they can do playing Ramboy and Ash from Evil Dead, while the other ones are lining the perimeter with bombs and trying to set up this devil's punch bowl as the climax of the first Tremors. Yeah, and as Jimmy and Bert are going into that cave to get that the group of nine shriekers, we see Jimmy start putting the mud on himself because it's like Predator. I do want to say, you know, I called out when Fred Ward sprayed himself with the the fire extinguisher would that work someone did post on facebook that i guess mythbusters tested this and that did work Hmm. what arnold did in predator putting just mud on him does not work to hide your heat signatures you know and they also do something here i think it's a budget thing i hear wings flapping throughout this scene i'm like oh this is where we get the ass blasters the shriekers have evolved but i don't actually think that when we see them it's so quick and so rapid I don't believe they've changed into ass blasters. No, they they even say earlier that we have 48 hours to kill them before they become ass blasters. Yeah, again, if you can process that and and have been following the clock about how much time has followed, it just seems to me that if you put, the sound designer is putting flapping sounds into this cave (laughs) scene, then somebody in the special effects in dropped the ball because they were supposed to have something fly into the shot that does not appear. I thought it was just the sound in the shriekers throats before they shriek like a hunger kind of clicking i didn't take it as wings but i mean it's fun to see ramboy go with the chainsaw after them yeah i like when he's pinned down and he just shoves it through that shrieker's mouth like again for their budget and, and what they're able to do with this kind of film they do it pretty well and i had a real problem because jimmy is pinned by a shrieker and the chainsaws next to him and he picks it up and does this big arcing thing and i'm like 
Well, the end of that arc has you cutting off your own arm and probably into <laughs> your chest. But no, it doesn't f- do the arc. It hits the Shrieker, goes back the way it came. I'm like, all right, that's still not safe. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> arcing a chainsaw over your prone body. I don't know how much thought I would be putting into this when I'm fighting a Shrieker. I'd just be wildly wielding that chainsaw, too. <laughs> so, Arnie, did you ask Michael Gross how old he was? In real life or in here? Yes, Michael Gross. <laughs> yes, the actor who is clearly not doing much of this stunt work. He was 72 at the time of filming. I didn't need to ask it. Yeah, there there are scenes in here where there's like explosions going off and he's supposed to be running away. And I think they put it in slow motion because he can't run. Like, look, 72, I could barely run and I, I'm much younger than that. Like, I, I'm not dissing the guy. that you, That's what happens at old age. But yeah, you could tell it's painful for him to try to do some of these action scenes. Yeah, they just just kind of give him the flamethrower to wipe out the rest of them because I just he seems limited and they're trying to work around that later they'll give him a horse the horse where'd the horse come from <laughs> I don't know but they try to make it work to their advantage it's a wildlife preserve it, it perhaps it's a feral horse <laughs> that you know once he gets back to the mainland and the perimeter is exploding they make it seem like a poster shot that he's just kind of walking while things are blowing around him but clearly 72, you're saying. Yes, this is an actor that is just not willing or able to do the physical stuff. They've tried to give it to the younger guy. They do as good a job as they can to try and make him still badass. Yeah, I definitely noticed, like, he uses that flamethrower to take out most of the Shriekers, but he does have to pull out that Pennsylvania steel to take out, like, the last one. He has to resort to that machete. Yeah, they tried to make that into something. Yeah, he's not going to be overly physical. He's 72. The movie does a pretty good job of hiding most of it. And this is why you've paired him with a younger sidekick for the past three movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's kind of funny that he is maybe not any more physical. I mean, all of these guys, yeah, they look like wannabe Arnold. They look like wannabe ash with a chainsaw and so that's kind of cute that's kind of funny but it surprised me because again i thought that we were seeing bert badass it was not in my mind unlike the previous two movies that mortality was hanging heavy on this character despite the actor's age i had no idea i gotta ask arnie did gross say anything about him being done Yeah, because I had theories, so I need to know, like, is he coming back? Is this a fake out? Or is is he done for good? I had to ask. I mean, if I'm so glad I saw this beforehand, because while there are a few bonus features on the disc, no commentary, no real conversation spoilery. And so I asked him point blank, was it always the plan that this is Burt Gummer's final hurrah? And the answer was an emphatic no. Oh. This was not the plan. The original script did not have Bert dying at the end. Huh. Okay, because here, I'll just say my theory that I came up with when I watched this before I researched anything. This is a biotech firm manipulating DNA. Ah. Next one, Alien Resurrection. He's going to be part <laughs> Raboid, part Burt Gummer, right? Not bad. I like it. And yeah, you're right. You could get the actor back or you could make him some weird slimy puppet that crawls around in the dirt. I wonder what the little, little kid from Family Ties is doing. Remember the one they added when the others were getting too old? I had already dropped out of the show after the first couple <laughs> years. While they were making this, they asked Michael Gross, what would you think of Bert dying at the end of this one? And Michael Gross said his first thought is, oh, well, this is them saying they're done with the franchise. They're, you know. (laughs) 
I don't believe they, that. Like, if these are making money, they're on part seven. Like, why not do another ten? They can't go on without me. Oh, that's cute. Well, they filmed two endings. Okay. They filmed an ending where he survived, and they filmed the ending that's on the movie. The extra ending is not on the disc. Okay. And they said they were going to go with whatever worked best in editing. And in editing, they called him up and said, Michael, it really works to kill you. And so this, we're going to kill your character. But Michael Gross said here was his compromise. Don't see the body. Alien resurrection. I could still be right then. Oh, no, I think, Jacob, that is a very funny way if they want to bring him back for any reason. You're right. It's in hand. I am available to write that script, Hollywood. Call me up. I have to say, I had the opposite reaction. Going through all of this and they're doing the Trimmers 1 finale, I thought he would look at it as, I'm not letting Jimmy take my spotlight. But the fact that he's actually going to sacrifice himself, middle fingers up, the last thing we see of Bert. (laughs) That was funny. Flipping us off and the worm as he goes down. I kept waiting for the cutaway to like him hanging on the cliff face. Me too. I really believe the whole time he was alive. Yeah, because we talked about with the last film, like, Stuart, you paused the film because you had to see if Michael Gross was going to be in Shrieker Island. And I, I wondered that the first time I watched it. Are they killing him off? And the same thing in part five, like when Jamie Kennedy gets to get kill all the Shriekers in the cave. I'm like, why are they giving him the big moment? So here, like, I'm like, OK, he's going to be hanging off that cliff. They're not killing him. They they already got me to think that before. It's not happening. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, well, we've he's been swallowed by a Graboid before. Yes. He clawed his way out. Maybe there's a part of it that blew somewhere. This one does go through spikes and gets blown yeah. up, though. So I figured, he. how did he get out of there? They're going to do something. I'm just, I'm watching this film, and I'm just, like, my jaw is down. I'm like... Did they just kill Bert? This is the one moment, the one moment I wish Jamie Kennedy was here. Because Jimmy going up on that cliff and, you know, finishing his arc because Bert says, lead, follower, get out of the way. And Jimmy goes, I'm going to lead. Well, he doesn't really lead. They just both kind of run. And because Jimmy's there, Bert sacrifices himself to save Jimmy. It's good that Bert would sacrifice himself. I think he'd sacrifice himself to save Bill. But it would have meant more to sacrifice himself to save his son. I would have said his death was in vain then if he would have died for Jimmy Kennedy. <laughs> we know. You hate him. But uh, you. But just think about it emotionally and oh, yeah. for no, an arc. Having the old girlfriend. No, I, I, I was like getting emotional over this. I couldn't believe it. Like when they just cut and all of a sudden there's a grave. I'm like, what? what is going on? This is not real. I was strangely moved. I never thought I would be by the, by this Tremor series, but having gone through seven movies and an entire season of a TV series, I was sad. I was too. I'm right there with you guys and, and yeah. surprised by my own response to it. And And here's the thing. I was sitting there going, oh, please be dead. Please be dead. Please be dead. Because it would be so cheap. To have him come back in that way. But you were expecting him to come back. Like, that's why I was so shocked. I was. I didn't think they were brave enough to pull this. Like, when they show his grave, I'm still like, okay, he's going to be coming walking up the hill. What are you guys doing? Like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? When they're all mourning. Yes! I would be so mad. I would be so mad at that. But no, they cut to credits and do a montage in memoriam. But it, I'm so impressed that they stuck to their guns. And for no reason that we, Michael Gross is happy to continue this. And yeah, who knows if there's going to be more. But but the thought is we're doing this just because we know it will have a better, more powerful, less jokey emotional impact. And the, what a brave choice to do that here. I was 
truly impressed that we end with, yeah, you're right. It should be Bert's son, Travis, but Jimmy putting the Cubs hat on the grave. And Jazz giving the Ray-Bans, giving her Ray-Bans and putting them on the grave, too. And I wish Jimmy Kennedy had cameoed, you know, maybe he'd show up for the funeral or something, show up for to talk at the grave. I was hoping because this is the death of Burt Gummer that maybe Jamie Kennedy came on for a day and did something. There's no Travis. Travis will have to be told off screen by Jazz. Yeah, I thought the end scene was actually going to be like there was one worm left and he would tunnel all the way to Mexico. And like we would just know <laughs> what he was going to do. It would break Travis out of prison. He'd have to take it on. No, no. <laughs> well, I guess that's a way to go with it. But no, when that montage plays, it plays to like a slow country dirge yes i'm like oh sh-. like i sat through all the credits because i'm like there's going to be a post credit scene where he's still alive nope remember burt gummer april 14th tax day is burt gummer day first of all why is april 14th burt gummer day the day before you have to pay taxes yes taxes are april 15th right right so like you're honoring Bert by you're not haven't paid yet and maybe you won't. I don't know. I mean, I get what they were going for. It's a funny idea that you would honor him right before you had to pay your taxes. Okay, yeah, cuz then it said and don't forget to pay your taxes and I'm like that's the opposite of what Bert would think. Yeah, well that they they don't want to get sued. Yeah, I don't think the movie was prepared to tell people. Shrieker Island said I didn't have to pay my taxes. Yeah, that's just you don't <laughs> want to open yourself up to that kind of legal problem. And when I talked to Michael Gross, I asked him if he'd seen this montage at the end, because he's like, there's an opening. And if you listen or watch that interview with him, you'll hear his idea of how Bert lived. But he thought there was an opening. But I'm like, did you see the tribute to Bert at the end? He's like, no, I haven't seen the final edit yet. (laughs) I had seen it. He hadn't seen Mm. the final edit yet. I do think it's telling the one scene and... Look, this is why I didn't recommend part five, because all I could think of is him with the piss. And that is the scene they cut to for part five. Are you crying in it? What I want to know is, like, are you finding yourself tearing up now that you're seeing the lion and the pissed on Bert? Like, that would be awesome. <laughs> no, but it's it's Bert in the cage, but it's not. Yeah, they cut away before there's any piss. I mean, they're not going to desecrate this man, but I found myself... I, I wasn't crying. I wasn't, you know, bawling. No, I, I was in shock, though. I'm yeah. like, wow, I, I can't believe they got rid of Burt Gummer. He is Tremors at this point. Yeah, and I just, I'm sad. I'm shocked that they did it, but I'm sad that they did it because I've enjoyed Michael Gross so much this whole series. Go back to listen to me in part five going, I can't believe I'm saying Michael Gross is really good, but... I, I gotta say, this film is carrying on the tradition of 2020 being the worst year ever. I mean, Burt Gummer's now dead. Like, another casualty in 2020. And maybe that's why we're a little emotional, too. <laughs> like, we've been st- <laughs> cooped up in a cage ourselves and maybe not covered in lion piss, but it's not a franchise I normally would have watched. But having gone through it, maybe I did get a little overly emotionally attached. And it's nice. Again, it's just nice whenever a series shows that it can have more emotional range than you've given it credit for. Yeah, Tremors is mostly just sort of a pastiche and a parody of other better movies. But it can go for the feels. And it achieved them. It did. It did not end in any way on a joke. Once Bert's dead... You got the funeral, you got the montage. I waited till the end of the credits. A, I was a little stunned, but B, I had to know, was there going to be a stinger at the end? Were they going to pull a Marvel? Was there going to be, I mean, it could be something as little as a shrieker jumping at the camera, right? I mean, it could Mm -hmm. just be that kind of a stinger, or it could be a sign that Burt Gummer has lived. No, we're going to end on a down note. I mean, Dante from Clerks would love this one. It's a down ending. 
Yeah, but a happy one. Again, I I actually wanted Bert. It was a weird feeling because I wanted Bert to die because that would show that they were willing to push the series into some new terrain. And then I was also sad that he died. It was a, it was a real polarity. But I felt like yeah, it was nice to be able to take a seven series arc and end it in this way. What Michael Gross said is, if this movie does really well, they're going to want an eighth. And he thinks they'll want him back. What do you guys think? I mean, knowing that Kevin Bacon filmed a pilot to a TV series that never happened, knowing that reboots are a big thing these days, if this makes money or if Universal just, for whatever reason, wants more Tremors, do you think it'll be the return of Burt Gummer? Do you think they'll reboot? Do you think Kevin Bacon will finally (laughs) need to see some green? I mean, I mean, I do feel like, yeah, if they're going to replace Gummer, I don't want it to be Travis. Keep him in that jail. Bring Val back if they're able to pull that off. Or even bring Fred Ward's character back. Yeah, did they could come to avenge Burt Gummer's death. No, I think it's done. I think this is done. I don't think you do anything more with any character that's ever been in there. And you think about how to bring in young stars and uh, a, maybe a new feel to it. Um, you know, we're not so into the 1950s homages anymore. Maybe we do it a different way. We take the premise of Underground Worms. We go a different direction with it. New stars. Higher budget, maybe. I don't know if there's going to be theatrical distribution in the future. But maybe you <laughs> even think about that. The thing that's weird to me is this movie was greenlit the fastest of any of the Tremor sequels. It usually takes a few years for Universal to say the last one made a profit, do another one. It was almost immediately after the last one came out, before they knew how it did, Universal said, go back and do this one. And then it wasn't the plan to kill Bert, but they killed Bert. (laughs) It's like, why did they make this one if that wasn't the plan to finish an arc and you didn't know how profitable the last one was, there's a lot of, I I mean, studio level executive, why did you write the check questions I have, but I do feel like this is a nice closing of the book on this Tremors incarnation. I don't think it's that hard for the suits to see the dailies and go, why isn't Michael Gross running? Michael Gross can't run. (laughs) Michael Gross is not going to run. Yeah, they're fine with a death ending. I mean, again, I think that the star of this has always been the worms and the humor. And I think that that can continue and this can stay uh, as a seven series arc. Well, how did the arc end? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend a visit to Shrieker Island? Jacob. Like I said, I I went into this somewhat optimistic, even though I I really didn't like five or six, but that trailer kind of sold me that this was going to have a different tone and it definitely ended up going that way. I do think they returned to some of the things that really helped Tremors film that were missing from five and six, having a great just ensemble cast with with characters that are fun to be around. We, We get back to those with Jimmy and Freddie and Anna and Jazz, those side characters. I... Here's the thing that what tells me that this was somewhat successful, even though there's definitely budget limitations and all that stuff that comes with a direct to video type film, because there's a lot of great talk in this. I wish I could see the things they were talking about, that giant Godzilla size tremor and just more of these shriekers. And, and I wish some of that stuff could be flushed out. But the thing is, I was still into it because I'm into this cast and, and what these characters are doing. Like I wanted more. So I, I think that's successful. Like I'm not going to rave and say like, this is the greatest thing ever, but for what it 
is, yeah, it, it was a success. And then the fact that they were willing to do with Gummer that they ended up doing, like, it was a shock. Like, I never thought a Tremors film was going to have my jaw on the floor like this one did. But they were able to pull that off. So, again, set your expectations right. That This is a direct-to-video Tremors horror comedy film and the action's not going to be up to par what you would see in movie theaters if movie theaters were open these days so yeah with the right expectations this is i'll say right now my my previous ranking before i saw this was one two three four five six like from best to worst and and i i was you know wouldn't be surprised as you know i continued with that and seven was down there but no this this jumps way up this is my favorite one since uh two like one two and then seven like I don't think we've had a late entry since like Fast and the Furious 5 like redeemed that franchise. Like it (laughs) it, it was a surprise to see such a late entry into a franchise be really good for what it is. Again, I I don't want to make this sound like the greatest thing ever. It's direct to video, but it's successful for the product that it is for the fast food hamburger that it is. So, yeah, I recommend Stewart. I agree. It's a really nice surprise. And there was no reason to think that the director of the last two movies and the new writers were going to be able to recapture the charm of the early trimmers. When all those creative forces are gone, we've seen what direction they're headed. I had no expectation for anything very good with part seven, but I'm actually going to go further. I think Shrieker Island is the second best entry in the series. And yeah, in part, that's because Burt Gummer is given a really nice sentimental send-off But I also just think that there's a good supporting cast. Like, forget Bert and look at everybody else. They're in a great photogenic tropical location. They make decent low-grade pastiches out of Predator and Jurassic Park. I mean, I think that this is as good as you can expect a Trimmer sequel to be. And yeah, that's not theatrical quality. As you point out rightly, if we were going to a movie theater and saw this, we would feel ripped off. But in this year... Of lesser entertainment all around, grading on a curve. I mean, yeah, I think that this is a blockbuster. I did the math, and I don't think that I've enjoyed so many installments in a franchise as I have in this one. Bad Boys for Life, Bill and Ted 3, like 2020 is is the year of the yeah franchise. Low expectations have paid <laughs> off in, in full. And here's just another example of where I was able to meet the movie where it was at. And don't mind saying that this is a solid recommend. Do I recommend Tremor 7? Does a bear shit in the woods and wipe his ass with a white rabbit? <laughs> I'm shocked because I'm watching this movie and I know it's the same director and same creative team and I'm just turned it on reluctantly. And as it goes, I get more into it. And the second act hits and I'm like, oh, don't break my heart now. I'm I'm actually thinking this is pretty good. And I'm also thinking, am I stoned or something? Are Stuart and Jacob going <laughs> to rip me apart because I'm really enjoying this one? And then... It ends, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm moved. I'm moved by a Tremors film. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say I've found the Tremors series mess so far, and Shrieker Island, I think, is the best of them all. Better than the original. I thought I was I was going big calling it number two in the series, but you're saying number one in the series. I was trying to decide in my mind, is it better than the original Tremors? I'm going like, Tremors 1 had some good stuff, Tremor 7 had some good stuff. I'm like, neck and neck. But I use Letterboxd. You can follow now playing on Letterboxd HQ. And 
I rank all my films I watch in Letterboxd, and I went, and when I saw Tremors, Shrieker Island, I gave it four stars, and I looked back. What did I give to the original Tremors? Three and a half stars. When I finished that movie, my feeling on that was it's a solid three and a half star movie. I felt Shrieker Island was four, so my ranking is seven, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> wow. And because Jamie Kennedy isn't in here, you can really skip four, five, and six. As many of those as you want can be skipped. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? But again, I think that the good ones, when I think about the good ones, again, grading on a curve, one, seven, four, two for me. Those are all like the solid ones. And five and three are meh. Like, that's a really good average for a franchise. No, one of the things that impressed me this for the first time I watched all these on Netflix when they were around on there was like, look, we're not getting the cardboard sets of Leprechaun in space. Like, I thought we were going to get down yeah. to those levels. Like, yeah. I was surprised the production, again, straight to video, set your, your expectations correctly, but they never felt cheap to me they never felt like the sci-fi channel birdemic sharknado type films Eh, three and four kind of did to me but not the sets but that when the cgi was bad the cgi was awful oh it was early days of cgi i was able to go with it i put it this way it always looked cheap even the first movie is kind of cheap but they all have heart i mean truthfully the, the only one that's bad is the only one that had no heart and that was six i felt like that was the true mistake and all the other ones you could see that people were trying and people cared you know it wasn't about the money for them they wanted to just do this community project it's a community effort and i feel like it largely pays out i agree i mean i've recommended one two three and seven so over 50 percent of the series for a series that i never intended to watch i think that's a really solid rating and I'm thinking, you know, it, it is grading on a curve because I'm saying for a Tremors movie, it's a four-star oh, movie. Is. Yeah, yeah. Let's not be silly. Yeah, no, I, again, I feel like it's the perfect entertainment for our times right now. For this cooped up, what are you going to do with yourself? Well, why not watch Tremors? Because what else can you do? Kind of feeling. Like, yeah, I was glad we took this journey. I really didn't have much expectation that anything would be worthwhile after the first movie. And so what a delight to know that, yeah, like all of the straight-to-tape movie franchises we've seen before, they've been checked. They've been body checked. They've been told, you could have been better. I just want to thank our listeners. They've been crying out for a Tremors retrospective series for years. And we did Children of the Corn, and we did Leprechaun, and we thought we knew what we were in for. Listeners, you were right. Thank you for suggesting this again and again, and giving us some new, to us, entertainment in a year that's not providing a lot of new entertainment. <laughs> Oh, you just wait till next week. It's election day. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. I need to build a bunker to go hide in for that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Bert, you got any room down in there? Because I am starting to feel like a survivalist about how things are going. Don't worry. Now playing has you covered. We've decided why not just run into the political paranoia headfirst. We're going to do two weeks of uh, deep state scares with the original godfather, really, of the paranoid political thriller, The Manchurian Candidate, a movie that has a high reputation, but I'm not sure a lot of people go back and see that original 1962 movie. That's what we're releasing next week for Election Day, and then the week after, we're doing the one with Denzel. I've seen the one with Denzel. And I've seen neither. Meanwhile, on Friday, our donation drive is kicking off its platinum level, because this Friday... 
Four more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Four more days till Halloween. We're reviewing Cloverfield. Was that the monster roaring at the end there? Yeah, you know, I I, I tried for something there. I'm not sure I hit it, but it's kind of a Halloween movie. It's a scary movie in a way, but I mean, it's scarier than most Godzilla movies. It's like a fun haunted house attraction, to sneak peek my thoughts. Yeah, it's definitely like that. I would say, you know, there's fear in there, including fear that I'm going to have to watch part three after the things I've heard about it. Ooh, I've seen it. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a monster movie. It's kind of fun for Halloween, and it's a series we've been meaning to get to, and as I mentioned With a lack of new releases this year, it seemed like the perfect time to pick up Cloverfield, starting with that 2008 original J.J. Abrams produced found footage film. And that is for platinum donors of our donation drive. I want to kind of run this down, because last Friday, we came out with a review of a slasher film, sort of, called The House That Jack Built. And that was a patron-exclusive show. And then this Friday, what we have is a donation show. And just to kind of break it down, we are a completely crowdfunded show. We have no sponsors. We have no ads. We have over a thousand in-depth movie reviews in our archives, all because of listener support from people like you. And we have a couple different ways that you can support us. If you go to our Podbean page, which is linked to from nowplayingpodcast.com's donate page, it's a monthly pledge. And depending on your monthly pledge, you get bonus content. And if you pledge $10 a month, you get access to 45 exclusive bonus reviews only available for our monthly patrons. And you get the access for while you're a patron. And each month we add a new exclusive patron-only review. So that's the only way to hear The House That Jack Built and Hook and The Warriors, and Willow, and Galaxy Quest, Flash Gordon. Next month, we're actually doing two for patrons, JFK, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Just a slew of bonus shows for patrons at $10 a month on our patron feed. Now, our donation drives are a little bit different, because some people still wanted to download the shows from us and not go through the Podbean app. And so we do take donations directly through PayPal. Of $10, you get six Wes Craven movies, The Hills Have Eyes for four of them, and Last House on the Left, the original and the remake, for two. At the gold level, later this year, it's $25 or more. Later this year, we're going to be reviewing Rosemary's Baby and The Omen and all of those sequels. And then at the platinum level of $35 or more, you also get these three Cloverfield reviews. And then there's a couple other levels where you can hear some of our older donation drives, like Candyman, because we thought that movie was coming out this year. It's actually now coming out next year. Maybe. Everything's coming out next year. Maybe. A Quiet Place, which we were going to do originally. Do you still believe (laughs) them as they keep moving that goalpost? (laughs) But if you donate now for Candyman, you'll get that review whenever that movie comes out. And there was a new Deep Blue Sea movie that came out, so you can hear our Jaws and Deep Blue Sea movies. All the details for the direct donation to us are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. But to try to not double dip, if you're a $10 patron on the pledge, you get those 45 shows, you also get 
the silver shows, the $10 to us or the $10 to the patron feed, you're going to hear The Hills Have Eyes, you're going to hear Last House on the Left. $25 to the patron feed gets you some early access to shows, and it's going to get you the Gold Series. So if you pledge $25 over there, $45 extra reviews, the Silver Reviews, and the Rosemary's Baby and the Omen. If you pledge $50 at the patron, then you get the Platinum and everything above. You're going to hear Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, Cloverfield, Candyman, all of those for the duration of the donation drive through our Podbean page. So it can get a little confusing. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, we have it a chart that should make it really easy. Like if you do this, you get this. If you do that, you get that. Or just drop us an email at show at nowplayingpodcast.com if you have any questions. But we totally rely on your guys' support. I'm holding out my bag and saying trick or treat and seeing if you guys can donate and we will treat you with a bunch of bonus podcasts. And snakes from our face. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> you gotta watch the TV commercial for that. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. But we do appreciate all of you for being with us here on this seven-week journey and this decade-long journey. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you in whichever shows you join us on next week and beyond. So thank you for listening to Now Playing, the podcast hotter than a fifty cal on full auto. We killed it. We killed it. Fuck you! <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Now this is low. We have got to set our sights a little bit higher. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Nobody handles garbage better than we do. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's be honest, you got a lot of red in your ledger. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is there some higher force at work here? I mean, are we asking too much of life? You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. I would venture that it matters not how you spend your money, but how you spend your life. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I mean, we could make some real money on this thing. We could get in People Magazine. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. We don't have much of a budget, you know. It's not a high priority in Washington, okay? Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. You have asked for some uh, <laughs> unusual things. Find the details on our website. Oh, I bet you made a fortune off this. Well, somebody did. Sure wasn't me. 
You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. I'll lead. That's not an option. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Last check. How many Twitter followers did you have, huh? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're underachieving big time, my man. You should be a global brand. Come on. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There he is. Huh? The man, the myth, the legend. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Doing what I can with what I got. Now playing credits read by Brock. I just bet that you could charm a cow right out of her calf with those fancy words. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I feel I've not been privy to critical, most needful information. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. But I do not dwell on that over which I have no control. That's great. I have to do all the dwelling. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You've been flipping off the feds longer than Wesley Snipes. It's got to be a record. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Your little jungle boat ride is over, mister. Time to fish or cut bait. I had to watch it twice. I watched it once for my interview with Mr. Gross and once again for this review. So I had it all fresh. Then you get to do the plot. Hit him. If I only watched it once, would you? (laughs) (laughs) No. It's called a segue. (laughs) Jimmy, Bill Heater, who's like... John Heater. John, you said Bill Heater. Stewart's notes have Bill Heater. In oh, okay. <laughs> Bill Hader, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's particular. probably what I was thinking. <laughs> Just like I did with Fred, Fred, uh, or Bert, Bert Gut, Ward. Uh, Bert Ward. <laughs> and I like Bill. Is it Bill Heater? No, what is his John name? Ha- John, John Hader. John Hader. John Hader. I'm going to say Bill Hader the whole show. <laughs> um, if there was just this woman and John Heater, <laughs> I had to think about Jimmy. it. If it was just this woman and John Heater, uh... 
you wanted your kids to see a PG-rated Predator, here it is. Aliens versus Predators, PG-13 also. I said PG. <laughs> this is PG-13. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, what, even though, like, I, I've, I've said my piece with Jamie Kennedy, like. <laughs> Until we do our mask retrospective, then you'll start again. <laughs> Oh, man. I've never seen Son of Mask. Oh, I, I think I it might that. kill you, honestly. <laughs> it might. I don't, as a, as a, yeah, thinking of your health, just don't do it. You'll, you'll get X'd. 